0: On this episode, I have with me Andy Snow, EDM DJ and producer. So, welcome, Andy. Thanks for being here.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Uh, yeah, you uh came all the way from Zoom to, <laughs> from Chicago to <laughs> Milwaukee to be here. <laughs> so, no.
2: That's right. Um,
0: <laughs> such a haul. It's amazing how we can do this now. um so I, I, mean, I, I've, I've met you before. We've met. I think that was another online meeting. Was is that the case? I think. Yeah, that's correct. That a phone yeah. Call? yeah, but uh, you were telling me a little bit about uh, how you ended up getting into EDM and and um, moving from Wisconsin to Chicago and getting into that scene. But um, I mean, can you tell the people listening how uh, like what you do? Let, let's start with that. I kind of like to start with that. What are you What are you doing currently?
1: So. Um... I would say I'm a producer first and a DJ second. So mm-hmm. uh, in the EDM world, and so just to clarify for people that aren't really necessarily super into it, it stands for electronic dance music. And in that scene, um, usually you're all you're a DJ and you're also a producer. Like very few people that are you know performing the scene are either a DJ or a producer. They're usually both, and so. Mm-hmm um you're typically you're you're writing tracks and you're also performing a lot of your own original music but also some of um other people's music as, as well um but so i i've been a fan of the genre for a few decades i guess but basically my whole life that i can remember but um it was only about a year and a half ago or so that I really like decided to make a concerted effort into it. I've been a lifelong musician, um, in various genres, but, uh, electronic music has always been kind of the one that I listened to the most and the one that I gravitated towards the most. And so that was the first time it was about, yeah, January of 2020, when I really decided to kind of, uh, make my own music in this style. And so, uh, I, I started I learned how to DJ and also like learned how to produce music, uh, it, kind of in 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 the EDM style at about that time, and I've just kind of like built it up uh, from there ever since.
0: Nice. So, what is it? I mean, what is it like for like a, a typical musician who you know might be a guitarist or a singer? You know, how can we understand what you do? Like, what what does it mean to be an EDM producer?
1: So I'd say, like, it's it's mostly about a, being a songwriter. And mm-hmm. it's about knowing how to, like, write a very, like, uh, a good melody, a uh, good chord progression, and then also, like, choosing the right sounds um, with the melody and the chord progression and the bass line and so forth that you've written. Uh, one thing that's kind of unique about EDM music is... Producers, like, typically don't write the uh, the vocal part. There's another group of people, which we call top liners, who are the vocalists. Um, and I think something that's probably unique to EDM music is that the vocalist usually, like, writes their own vocal part on top of the instrumental that a producer creates. So a producer like myself would write and and polish uh, so, like, entirely the, uh, sorry, essentially the entire, like, instrumental part of the song. And then we would send that to a top liner who would write the melody and the lyrics and perform the, the vocals on top of the instrumental track that we'd created. And this is the standard workflow in, I would say, 90% of um, EDM tracks. So it's, it's a little bit different than a lot of other styles. Uh, But yeah, so that's like the way that um, if if you're a songwriter um, and you want to get into electronic music, uh, you're already like halfway there. And then from there, you would just take um, a good melody and a good chord progression and then choose the sounds that maybe are current uh, that are um, uh, consistent with the style of Uh, electronic music that you want to create and then you would create an instrumental track and polish that and then you would send that off to a top liner who would uh write the melody and the lyrics and perform the vocal part over the top of your track and then send it back and then you would kind of finesse it from there together like as a team
0: okay cool So, and, and, but there's a lot more to it than just taking, you know, tracks that are already there. Like, you know, there's a lot of original EDM music as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And you submitted one of your, your own, um, and now, you know, we'll talk about that later. Right. (laughs) Um, but, uh, yeah, so there's, there's a, I mean, a lot of variety, a lot of creativity within within the field of EDM. And like, how did you just, like, you said you've been listening to it for decades. Like, how did you gravitate towards that?
1: I'm not exactly sure. I know that I remember, um, so this was like the early 2020. I remember I was just like kind of feeling like down in the dumps and my dad suggested to me Like, find a hobby that you're passionate about that you can do on your own. And I was like, hmm, like, I've always been in bands, and I still am in, like, a few kind of casually and stuff, but they're not, like, really frequent. They're very much more of, like, a a way to hang out with friends and just, like, kind of get together once in a while kind of thing. And I was like, yeah, maybe, like, I'm not doing enough musically to feel fulfilled. So I was like, this is, like, the music I'm listening to day in, day out. So maybe I should, like, try my hand at making it myself. So, I think that's kind of like the little nudge I needed. Nice. Just to kind of like figure out what was possible, you know, for me.
0: Yeah. So, and it's something that, like, how old were you when you started getting into it? Were you like a teenager then or?
1: um... Uh, Early teens, maybe even like tweens. I'm not even sure. But like, I remember like back in the 90s, I was listening to like Prodigy and Orbital and Underworld, these like super old school. Uh, electronic music acts back then it was called techno. Okay. Yeah. If, if you call it techno now, like uh, like te- techno <laughs> is like techno is one very specific style of electronic music. But yeah, back in the '90s, everyone just called it techno, and that was like what that's basically like what we call EDM now is techno back then. But techno is is still a thing, and people still make and enjoy techno, and it's completely valid and great but it's a very specific subset of electronic music.
0: (laughs) What makes it different?
1: Uh, It's mostly about like the rhythmic feel. So Mm -hmm. there's like, if you think about like the main styles of EDM, there's like house music, which is what Mm -hmm. I make. And there's like trance music and there's techno and there, there are many others, but it mostly has to do with like, kind of like the overall general rhythmic feel of the music. And also to a lesser extent, um, the sound choices that the producer makes. So there are gonna be certain like sounds that are more prevalent in one subgenre of EDM than another. Same way with any anything. For let's take rock music, right? Like mm-hmm. a punk band is gonna be more prone to use certain like, you know, uh guitar sounds than you know, mm-hmm. an indie band. It's still rock music, but it's sort of these subsets. So that's the same way with EDM music, trance, house, techno, dubstep. They're millions mm-hmm. of the these like subgenres but it mostly has to do with yeah the rhythmic feel and the sound choices that the producers make that kind of like you know put it into that sort of subgenre
0: yeah what would you say to someone if uh if they heard your music and they would be like hey andy that's amazing techno music what would you say
1: <laughs> i would I, I would definitely not uh be rude to them like that's <laughs> just like people have been calling it that for decades like that's fine. Um, yeah, yeah. but. uh you know, eventually, hopefully if they were interested enough in the style, they would learn to know the nuances like between the genres. That's fine.
0: Yeah. an an educational opportunity right there. (laughs) Correct.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Now that you say the techno, like, yeah, yeah. I, I remember listening to, oh man, who is, there was this like big, uh, I want to say German, um, band that was doing a lot in the nineties that I used to listen to. Um, that was kind of a crossover, like rock, um, oh, a techno kind of band. Do you know who I'm thinking of at all? Are you thinking um, of Rammstein? Not Rammstein, but <laughs> I know who Rammstein is, but uh, I'll, I'll, it'll come to me. Um, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll think of it. Maybe I'll do some some digging in a minute. But tell me more about so you, uh, you are a musician on on other instruments besides doing the EDM production. So what did you start off on?
1: Ooh, what was the first? I guess piano. I started piano when I was like six, five or six, and then went to. I was a percussionist in like middle school band, and then I got a guitar for Christmas about that same time. Um, so I guess yeah. So piano, uh, percussion, guitar. Eventually learned like uh, acoustic bass at some point, but I always just kind of dabbled. Like I've never been like a virtuoso by any stretch. I've always just kind of been more on the songwriting side than like a great musician, a great instrumentalist, I would say. Um, but yeah, so I think this is like the, the the four main instruments. But when I produce EDM now, like I, it's pretty much just like clicking the mouse in the right place. Like I don't, you don't actually have to like know how to play anything. You just have to have like a good ear for what sounds good and like a good ability to create like a catchy melody and a good chord progression. It's It's really not about being able to, have the uh, mechanical skill to play any instrument well. It's mostly just about having like a good musical brain and just like having a good ear essentially.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I've heard I've um correct me if I'm wrong about this, but um I've heard that uh you also want uh good videos for for EDM, is that correct?
1: Yeah, so absolutely. So uh, I would say that EDM uh shows like the the pinnacle of EDM is like playing at a festival. And this is like gonna be for a crowd of thousands. And so the visual experience is a huge part of it. Um, so someone would, if they want to reach the highest level of, of fame as a producer, uh, the visual part of your set has to be um, very, very like well thought out and deliberate. I think it's, it's a massive part of the experience, but I think, um, it's also like uh, the producer themselves doesn't really need to be good at that. They just need to surround themselves with other people that are good at that. And like, understand the, uh, understand the, the, what they want to communicate through their music. And so if you like find someone that's really good at the visual side of it and gets what you're trying to communicate, you don't need to actually be like good technically at like, running lights or creating, you know, 3D renders or whatever. Like, you just need to have that in mind when you're, like, kind of planning out the experience that you want to provide for your audience. And this is, again, this is something that most producers, including myself, will probably never have to worry about. This is the people that are doing it at the highest level. But I would absolutely say yes. Like, if you want to be, like, playing major festivals and stuff, the visual experience is very, very important because it absolutely uh adds to to like the the sound that you're providing and like if you do it well and if you're clever about it you like are very thoughtful about how you plan what you do like it's gonna bring like your performance to just absolutely new heights Mm
0: -hmm. for sure yeah so tell me about like uh what's an edm festival like (laughs) where are you gonna find one of those
1: so, if it, it, assuming that most of our audience is in Wisconsin, the, the best bet would be Spring Awakening in Chicago, okay. Um, which is strangely every June, I feel like it should be called Summer Awakening if it's in June, but anyway, um, it was postponed this year due to COVID. It's going to be in early October of this year, but presumably, like every year following this one, it's going to be back in early June. Uh, it's almost always, I believe, the first weekend in June. And uh, it's one of the largest uh, EDM festivals in the world, and I would say seventy-five percent of the biggest DJs play every year. It's it's absolutely like one of the one of the best experiences you can have if you're into the genre. It's usually three days. Um, if you're at the at the main stage, there's probably like I don't know maybe five six stages. If you're at the main stage, you're going to be in a in a sea of I would say seven to ten thousand people, and the uh, the visuals are fantastic. It looks like sort of like um, if you think of like <laughs> Star Trek, the Borg. It looks like this like giant like like uh-huh. UFO, like evil UFO, just like crash landed in Chicago in the massive field, and it's just like just this like absolute like wall of like video screens, uh, and the sound is so loud that you you feel it. Uh, you can like, it's, um, when the bass hits, like you, you feel it in your entire body. It's like, it's, it's a very unique experience. It's something that no human being is made to do frequently. Like it would probably ruin your hearing and maybe even cause you physical trauma if you did it frequently, but like, uh, you know, once or twice a year, it's, it's absolutely the most fantastic experience you could have. And I think that was like really what drew me to the scene was like when you're in that that sea of thousands and everyone is, is just enjoying themselves and dancing and just like having a great time, it's, it's, a, it's a feeling of positivity that I haven't felt in many other places in life. It, it feels like a very like communal because I feel like um, life in general is so competitive, but I feel like in a festival situation, like everyone seems to be like playing for the same team. And mm-hmm. so like being part of, a massive group of people that's all kind of having the same experience and just like feeling like completely positive. And, and yeah, like there's this like giant sense of community. I think there's like very few other experiences in life like it. And so if this kind of music appeals to you, I think everyone owes it to themselves to at least go to one festival because there's for, for me, myself, there's nothing like it. There's, there's nothing that's made me feel so strongly about music in general.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love hearing that. And so what has it been like this last year and a half really um, without having the ability to have the festivals and and the communal feel?
1: Yeah. It's yeah. It's um, I feel like it's people have adapted. It it definitely went towards like live streams, which they're not a replacement, but it was like a, it was a, it was a a pretty decent substitute. And so for, for myself personally, um, because I knew I would not have the opportunities to perform for for a large group of people, I uh, used the time to learn how to produce better and just kind of with a goal, because my ultimate goal is to perform for large groups. And so, like, I just kind of, like, held on to that hope and just kind of used that as my motivation to perfect my ability to create music and um and also, even if you can't like go outside and even if we were all kind of cooped up in our homes, networking is still a real thing. so I used the time to um also like just make connections and find other people that were into a similar like sound that I was and so I was yeah, I think it was for me was like 50 50 producing trying to like make myself a better producer and also just to network with people and try to Uh, builds the connections that will hopefully like help me reach more people in the future. When like, now that things are starting to open up again.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. If you could realize that you could take advantage of the networking on such a a different and higher level almost. Mm -hmm. uh, Yeah. You can, you can really, get pretty far during the pandemic um but I'm curious like so what um so you know every time I see pictures of an EDM scene like I just see huge crowds like dancing mm-hmm. together and stuff you know so how does how does that translate to uh you know doing it from people's homes like how what does that look like what was that like for you
1: yeah it, it, it's definitely
0: different um
1: I try to, because I, like, I, I think it's not just an EDM thing, but when I think of, like, as, as a musician and as a music fan my whole life, when I think of, like, the bands that um, are really, like, doing it, like, on a professional level, they could, be, they could be in a venue and four people show up and they still give it absolutely everything they have. Like, they still, like, give it the full energy and they still, like, commit to the set that they're playing the same way that they would even if they were playing like Madison Square Garden, right? Mm -hmm. And like when you see an act that is like completely all in that way and and you're one of the few people in that crowd and you're like, they're they're just like going for it and they're just still providing like the set that they would for a giant crowd even though there's only like a few people here. That's amazing. And so that was like what I wanted to do. So when I would be streaming, even if I would see there's only like 10 people watching this. I still wanted to like give it my all mm-hmm. and I, and I wanted to um, project the energy that I was, that I would hope to over like for a big crowd. And and so that's kind of the best you can do in that situation. But um, it's it still, no matter what, it was good practice. It was experience. And it was like, um, it was uh, me like perfecting, like what song to play when, like, like what what song goes into another like the best like what? how can i create good transitions there were there like a lot of learning moments in in this period even though of course i would love to be playing for a for a big audience but i i might as well use this like law as like a, a a way to make myself like better at what i want to do you know
0: yeah yeah could you ever see the um the audience in any of your live streams
1: No. So the best you can do, well, so sometimes most of them are at at someone's house, sometimes mine, sometimes a friend's house. So then you might get like 10 people that were actually physically there witnessing it. So they might dance. But other than that, no, the best you can do is like the chat, the chats. So if you're like on Twitch or YouTube, there's like the chat panel. And and even that, though, is kind of um, empowering when you see people like, communicating to you, like, oh, I, like, I love this track, like, I love what you're doing, whatever, like, even that is, it's not the same as having, like, a live audience, but it's still, like, feedback that people are enjoying what you're, what you're putting out there.
0: Yeah, yeah, cool. I'm just trying to imagine, like, what people were doing in their homes while they were listening, you know, and how, how that was different. Like, did you ever attend people's, um, other people's, like, EDM shows online? Like, what were you doing?
1: I was, I was, I was being pretty boring. I was just sitting on my couch probably, but I was told that one guy was dancing so hard that he got a noise complaint. So I was honored.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. That's awesome. But the scene is starting to open up a little bit again and you're in the Chicago area, right? So, um,
1: yeah. Yeah. Um, actually Milwaukee opened up before we did down here. And I, I've played a few shows in Milwaukee, uh, RWB, which is on Third Street. And then um, there's a place called Nicole's, which is, I think, on uh, it's in the third ward. It's like near like um oh, what street is it? I can't remember. But anyway, it's by like uh it's by the public market basically. Right. But yeah, I played there too. And but those places have been open like longer than Chicago has. Um haven't done a Chicago show since everything like reopened, but um once that happens hopefully get some club gigs and, and stuff but yeah it's just like you know as of you know late may early june it's just starting to like be truly open uh for like april may you could like clubs were open but you had to have a table and you couldn't actually like get up from the table you couldn't really dance so it was like kind of weird but mm-hmm. yeah no things are definitely like opening up again and i'm very excited for that
0: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah yeah awesome And uh, so, I mean, is Chicago still at a point where there are going to be some restrictions or some limitations on capacity? Or do you see it as just starting to be fully open to, you know, come at your own risk kind of thing?
1: Yeah, I I think there's one stage above where we're at now, which is basically what you mentioned. Like, But I believe that at this point, uh, the capacity restrictions only apply to unvaccinated people. So if you're fully vaccinated, you don't count into the capacity of the venue, so we're very close to fully open uh, already, from what I understand. But there's one level um, in terms of the COVID precautions where it's, it's essentially like back to like pre-COVID levels, where you can basically mm-hmm. do what what you want.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's good to hear. And um, so, what you um, decided to go to the Chicago area really to pursue more EDM down there. Um, because there's not as much of a scene in Wisconsin, and there are only certain real niches of EDM where you can really do more with it, uh, from you know making a living with it. So where are some like you know what's that like in Chicago, and where are some of the other big capitals of of EDM? So I
1: would say like the world capital would be Amsterdam. Sure.
2: sure.
0: If, if if like there's
1: um, like mainstream EDM is so big in the Netherlands that. There's a high school in in the, in Amsterdam where you essentially, like, have EDM as your only extracurricular. So you enroll there as a, a ninth grader, let's say, and, and like, with the goal, it's almost like a trade school for being an EDM producer. And uh, if people know the style, Martin Garrix was one of the biggest producers in the world. That was the high school that he went to. And he was actually releasing professional tracks before he even graduated. But um, That level of interest is something that we do not have in the United States, unfortunately, (laughs) maybe eventually. But um, I would say if you want to produce, Chicago's definitely up there, top five. Uh, Miami's really big. Uh, Vegas. Vegas is probably number one uh, just because there are so many uh, big name producers performing there on a nightly basis that Um, if on the networking side, you could probably do the best in Vegas, but yeah, I would say, uh, Miami, Vegas, New York, LA, Chicago, uh, all good choices, all a lot of opportunity. It is tougher. Like if if you live in a smaller city, it's, it's going to be tougher to get freaking gigs. If you really want to stick to EDM, if you were just looking to get the most DJ gigs possible, you would want to be an open format DJ that would play. EDM, hip hop, pop, etc. Everything, but if if you're really like stuck on EDM, you essentially, unfortunately, like need to live in a major city if you want to perform regularly. Mm
0: -hmm. For sure. And have you visited Amsterdam at all?
1: No, it's on my list. My eventual goal is to get signed to a Dutch label, and then hopefully get part of the trip paid for by the label.
0: (laughs) That would be nice. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah, keep us posted on that. <laughs> if that happens, we'll have to get you back on to hear about the experience. But um
1: Thank you. That'd be good. Yeah,
0: yeah that's awesome. And um so so what is it looking like uh just from a, a venue standpoint in Chicago? I mean, did did COVID take a lot of them or, you know, uh are all of them still there for you to, uh, you know, perform at? Do you the, call it the... performing? <laughs> I don't
1: know. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely it's performing. Yeah. Um the 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 big names are all still there. Yeah. There's a few that are kind of on the mid level that it's sort of like TBD, like they still seem to exist but they haven't like reopened yet. It mostly has to do with like um the 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 bigger venues, they make their money from things like bottle service. It's not as much about the music, it's more about a uh, cash grab and uh, you know and that that ha- they have their place and that's that's fine, but the more um Purest, like I would say, EDM venues, not as financially well off. And from everything I've seen, those still exist, but it's they're not really truly open yet. So it's kind of still touch and go for those. But hopefully, they they make it because they they have the, like a very uh, important place in the scene, uh, and they're more suited towards people that like the music versus like want a certain image or just want to party like there's uh EDM is associated with with like hardcore partying and that that has place in life but like the the like I said the more like mid-level venues they're more about the music than they are like about a certain image or just being intoxicated you know mm-hmm. so it, it like it, it's, it's definitely like a we'll see kind of thing but um I haven't heard about um a prominent club like actually closing so it seems like it'll work out but yeah we're, we'll have to see
0: yeah and when you were uh, referring to like the purest clubs um when you say that what do you mean just like they're they're real specifically about the music itself as opposed to bar sales and things or you
1: know, yeah one? it's yeah exactly and it has to do like more yeah like they would be um willing to book djs that play um, less pop music and more EDM. There's, like, obviously, like, a gray area. Uh, th- there's definitely, like, a lot of crossover between dance music and pop, but uh, the clubs that are more uh, tailored towards people that are, like, very, very uh, into EDM versus just someone that just, like, shows up, you know, and wants to, like, party for a while, and doesn't really know much about the music. So there there's... The, that's kind of the delineation between like the clubs that are more about just like the glitz and glamor and money. Whereas the ones that are more about like the scene and, you know, really enjoying the music. So that's, uh, the latter is not as well off financially. That's always been the case. So those are the ones that are probably more in danger of like, you know, being shut down due to COVID. But as, like I said, like I, from what I've seen, the scene will recover. And even those, um, a little bit like lesser known clubs seem to be still there. And so hopefully everything will kind of rebound in the, in the near future. Mm
0: -hmm. Is it a competitive scene to, to get involved with?
1: Yeah, I would say, I I think it's like similar to any other, any other genre where it's like, um, the connections matter Mm -hmm. probably as much as like being good at music, but I think you definitely need both. Mm -hmm. But it, it like you certainly have to build uh, connections with promoters and venues and other other musicians. Honestly, like I would say, like one um, one of the main genres I played in previously was punk music. And if you were friends with another punk band that was a little bit higher up on the food chain than you, so to speak, they might bring you on tour, mm-hmm. and that would be your in to playing at really good venues.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly the same with EDM. So I think, I, like I think, most genres, if not all, work that same way. That like, mm-hmm. as long as you're a good musician, and you also like do um, your diligence and networking and, and meeting other musicians that appreciate what you do, and they and you appreciate mm-hmm. what they do, you can you can kind of like make your path. And I think EDM is the same way. It, you definitely need the the musical acumen and dedication, but you need, also need networking and just kind of, you know, um, connecting with other people that do kind of a similar thing to you do. I think, I think that's true of all genres, but certainly, um, uh, EDM is no different.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Some things are just kind of universal for sure. Yeah. And, um, what is, what have you found like the best way to network has, has been for you?
1: Honestly, it's been just, um, Finding people that can help me improve my music. So uh, I've built like a good team. Uh, So I have someone that I send my instrumental tracks to, and then they write the vocal part too. And then depending on the song, sometimes it's a female singer, sometimes it's a male singer. So they would write the melody and the lyrics, and then they would send it to someone to perform it. Um, depending on what we think is a good fit for for the track. Uh, So that that person's been invaluable. So that person has introduced me to to many others. And I have another really talented colleague who does my mixing and mastering. So once the vocal part's recorded over the top of the instrumental, then I would send that to him and he does the, the mixing and mastering. And he's also been in the industry for a long time. So he's helped me connect with other people that do and appreciate the same styles that I do. Um, So I think that was, so I think it's just like making good music and then finding people that appreciate the kind of music that you make, I guess is like the main thing. And then um, as long as your music is good enough, you're going to get introduced to people within the industry that can help you take it from the amateur status to something hopefully bigger.
0: Mm -hmm yeah, so it's and and how are you meeting them mostly at at the clubs themselves or um, through word of mouth?
1: This, no, th- uh, through through the internet because this was like still like when I was like really like kind of carving out a name for myself. This was still when the clubs were all closed. So this is like just um, finding people that uh, produce and write in the same like s- specific subgenres of idiom that you do. And then, Mm -hmm. if your stuff is good, they'll help you kind of make the right connections. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, So it's it's mostly about uh, yeah, just uh, emailing and you know meeting people on social and just like putting in the work and sending sending out ten messages and being okay with the fact that nine of them will never be responded Mm -hmm. to, and then but that one that does will be like invaluable to you. And I've met like a few of the right people that have appreciated what i do enough to kind of help me you know make the connections that i've needed to so far but it's a it's a never-ending process right like everyone you know it, it, it's like as a musician like you're always like trying to improve yourself and what you do and who you know like at all times so i'm, I'm i've like increased you know like my name in the market a lot, but like, I still have a a ton of, uh, opportunity to do, to do much, 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 much more. So.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think, um, what you said about, you know, sending out 10 emails and only getting one response back is really important. You know, I, I think a lot of people, um, take it, um, too personally when they don't hear back from, from others or, you know, people in the industry, and, you know, that's not uncommon, right? It's not, it's, it's almost, it's, it's very common to not hear back from people, especially if you're reaching out and just taking a chance and, you know, reaching out to someone who might be, you know, a little bit above you. And, you know, um, but you have to take that chance in order to uh, see where, what might happen because, like you said, nine out of 10. Uh, you won't hear back from but you might have that one and uh, you won't know unless you try it so um,
1: and the one when you get that one it's so validating mm -hmm. when you get when you get that uh, vote of confidence from someone that is like you said bigger than you and they're like sticking their neck out because they believe in what you're doing like there's no better feeling
2: Mm
1: -hmm. and so it just like for me personally my experience is like i'm I'm just like prepared to take like rejection almost all the time. Mm-hmm. But then like when someone does like appreciate what I do and, and gives me that vote of confidence, it it's amazing. It feels incredible because like they uh, so so someone that's bigger, like like higher up in the industry, right? like they are putting their reputation on the line by voting for you. Like if they just like said, if they just, like, sent out anybody's demos that, like, approach them, they would be, like, tarnishing their reputation. Like, part of, like, the reason that that is important is because this person with uh, who has put in the work and who has proved themselves, the fact that they're willing to put, like, their support behind what you're sending them, they're that, that they are putting their reputation on the line for that. So when that happens, it's... Um, so rewarding and such an honor.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Well said. And you said, um, or, or you were kind of alluding to a, a subgenre of music that you perform. So what? What is that? That what is the subgenre that you particularly focus on?
1: Uh, so I have a few. They're all definitely like subgenres of house, and this, the, like is any genre, like any like you know overarching genre. These. Subgenres get very specific, but I would say that uh, the tracks that I produce would mostly be in the Future House subgenre, but there's also um, kind of a pop tinge to all of them. So I've heard my tracks being categorized as Future House frequently, but also dance pop, and Mm -hmm. those can kind of fit together. I would say even like Deep House, Slap House, bass house, like, these are all very, like, these all intertwined, like, very thoroughly, but I would say if I had to pick one genre, I'd say feature house is probably the overarching one that I probably make the most tracks in, but, but again, this is, like, very much open to interpretation, the same way that, like, if you think of jazz music, right, like, what's, like, bebop and what's post-bop, these are Mm -hmm. all, like, like, (laughs) People have argued in bars about these things, like right, you know, right? right? So, so like it's it, it's all uh, very subjective. But yeah, I would I would say if I had to pick, I would say a future house would be like my main like sub genre.
0: Got it. Awesome. And what is um, maybe one of the biggest lessons you've learned along the way, throughout your your work?
1: I, I, yeah, I think like what we talked about a minute ago. Honestly, like being able to accept rejection and understanding that virtually every musician before you has accepted that too, even like the most successful ones.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Like when, when someone says, when someone rejects something that you've like spent hours of your life into and something that you have put your like pride and joy into. And when someone like doesn't like it and doesn't think it's good enough, it hurts. But like, I think it's like that ability to be like, all right, yeah, this hurts, but, like, it doesn't mean that, like, what I'm doing has no value, and it doesn't mean that people that have achieved amazing things before me, they've they've all felt, they've all received this exact same treatment. They've all had this response and felt terrible about it, but they still persisted, and they, like, made great things, you know, come from it. So, like, that's where I think that's, for me, was just the... the realization that i was going to get rejected a ton before i probably would ever amount to anything and that's just like how it is Mm -hmm. and just like if you can accept that and just like take any iota of feedback as a positive thing be like all right this person's making me better so like for example the track that we've been talking about off the grid Mm -hmm. um it was rejected by oh i don't know four, five, six labels, I'm not even sure. But at least three of those gave me like really good feedback. And they said, this is how you can make it better. This isn't ready for what we want to do. But these are the things that we would change about it. And so knowing that and like adjusting what I was doing with the track, based on those the feedback of these labels that have been doing this for a long time and have established a big place in the industry, I made the track better in my opinion. And then it probably helped me get signed to the label that I eventually did. So even though it hurt to feel that rejection, especially for something that I spent like so much of my life, like into, it was still like a good, like positive learning experience. And it still was like a blessing to have that.
0: Yeah, for sure. And Um, there's this uh, book that I think I've mentioned on here, it's been a little bit, but the book rejection proof, like, you know, the, the guy who wrote it, he, he talks about, you know, making sure that once you do get rejected, that you go back and find out why, because, um, that's where you really learn. And so if they don't tell you like, like they did in your case, um, ask why, and, and actually in asking that might even open some doors because, people don't typically ask. <laughs> um, yep. you know, so the fact that you might be asking um, says a lot about your character. And, um, you know, so that's that's another thing I might throw in there as well. But yeah, tell us a little bit more about um, Off The Grid and about the, the new project.
1: Yeah, so it's been a long time coming. So um, I think I finished the track in like May of 2020 for the first time. Um, but so the way that one worked is I, I licensed a vocal sample. So a a full vocal part for a track basically. Um, and it was like, I don't know, 80 bucks or something. And so I like had the legal rights to use that track however I wanted. The problem was it wasn't exclusive rights. So I was just trying to like kind of get my feet wet in the production business and just trying to, I found this vocal track and I was like, Oh, this is great. I want to like make a track under it. So So I licensed this vocal track. And then I wrote all the instrumental parts underneath it. And I sent it out to get mixed and mastered. And the guy that I I had never met him before, but he's now an essential member of my team. And he's, like, done a lot for me. And I really appreciate him. He said, this is, like, really, really good work. Um, Let's try to get this signed. And I was, like, I'm amazed that anyone would want to sign this. But, okay, great. So he sent it to a, to a, a pretty good label. And they said, yeah, this is amazing, but like, if if this is not a unique, exclusive vocal line, we can't sign this. Mm -hmm. So, and I was like, well, I mean, like having that sort of validation that maybe this is like something I should pursue. I was like, all right, well, all right, let's just like keep the instrumental that I already made and let's like find a a vocalist for it. So I found this uh, vocal writer in Australia. Um, And he, like, wrote a really good vocal part on top of it, which was completely unique. And then um, one of his colleagues, uh, she, like, recorded the vocal. Um, And then, so then we had, like, a unique vocal for the track. And then the main part from that was uh, once it gets to the drop, which in EDM, what we call the drop is sort of like the chorus in, like, more common music, I guess. It's not... A like for like comparison but basically it's like it's like the memorable parts like the probably the best part of the song usually but for the drop we had to make what's called a vocal chop um and it, it's where you take a, a vocal part so we would we took like the 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 verse and sort of the pre-chorus like vocal parts and you typically like isolate the vowel sounds so you let's say you so it's called the chop because you take you imagine like a sound wave on your computer and you chop up the vocal part into, like, the various syllables. And you usually use the, the vowel sounds um, to create this. And then you make this, like, kind of the other thing out of, like, the vocal part that exists. So they call that the vocal chop. So we we worked for months and months and months on this vocal chop. Um, and then, so then we would send it off. And then another person t- touched the track, which is a vocal producer. And his, his job was to um, do, like... The autotune and which by the way, if you're if you work in EDM, everything is auto-tuned. It's mm-hmm. not shameful like in a lot of other genres. Like auto-tune has this sort of stigma about it, but in EDM.
0: It's but not <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. If you don't auto-tune in EDM, like people will will criticize you. Like it it has to be like uh yeah. Anyway, uh That's so anyway, cute. so so but he would do the auto-tune and he would also like um take the different um, takes of the vocal and comp them. So you get like one really good verse, one really good pre-chorus. Uh, and then you would apply the the ideal effects. So like reverb and delay echo depends on what the situation is. But anyway, so I worked with this good team. So we um, finesse this vocal part into what it was. And then um, for the next three, four months, it was just getting submitted to various labels. Um, I was very fortunate that, the person that wrote the vocal part for this track introduced me to his agent who is now my agent and he was the one that was eventually able to get the track signed Um, so the track got picked up by a Swedish label called Loud Cult Um, I would say they're like kind of a medium sized label but the one thing they're um, known for is they have like really really uh, um, really they have like a really, really well supported Spotify following. So they create playlists. And so a lot of their playlists have, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers. So if you're one of their artists, you get put on the playlist and then you're immediately able to reach like a, a really wide audience because of their like reach on Spotify. So that's like the way it works in the EDM world, less so in other genres, probably, but that's kind of like been my experience with marking the track. And I'm still only on week what one and a half of um distracting release so it's still yet to be seen whether or not it will do well but i do have like really good support from from loud cult and i've been added to these playlists so I'm, it's, it's cool to like see like your song being heard all over the world by these people that you wouldn't have had any yeah. reach for otherwise
0: yeah absolutely yeah and we'll add it to our own list we have um like a move to wisconsin music kind of thing that we put together and we'll make sure to get it on there awesome um, yeah because i mean you are a wisconsinite originally so <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: yes yes
0: <laughs> so very very cool and and what kind of things what kind of products do you have upcoming uh, once this is kind of out there what's next
1: yeah, so um, I've got about, I don't know, five or six tracks that I've, like, finished, like, I guess the instrumental part on, I guess, from my view, um, some of which I'm uh, trying to find, like, other producers that might be able to finesse a little bit more. So that's, like, collabs are really big in the EDM world, so I might, like, find another producer that would that would um, perhaps, like, um, help me... You know, make the track a little bit better and then also uh, finding other vocalists. So that's kind of, um, I've got like several tracks in that kind of space right now. I've also started um, a duo um, with another producer. um, And that's like another, like another style of house, a subgenre of house where I think it's like so different that it doesn't really fit with what I do for myself as a solo artist. But I started a duo with her. And so this is like another outlet that we're just kind of exploring right now. So it's like, um, working on some, some new stuff in that, in that, um, uh, kind of distinct sub-genre. So it's still not a whole lot that like, is like close to seeing the light of day yet, but I think like in a few months, there'll be like a lot more exciting stuff coming out.
0: That's awesome. Well, keep us posted on everything and um, yeah, be sure to stay in touch and, and we'll look forward to following what you have going on. Uh, and I hope that we can at some point get more of an EDM scene happening in, you know, Milwaukee, Madison, maybe Appleton's the place to do it or, you know, something somewhere in Wisconsin. So we can have sort of a um, a hub here in this state
1: <laughs> yeah i mean even even as it stands like there's little like little bits and pieces in, in all of those like major wisconsin cities yeah it's it just gotta kind of know where to look and you know but uh i agree completely it'd be fantastic to see edm grow uh in wisconsin uh a little bit more and i think i think it will happen uh but it's uh it's already there if you know where to look for sure
0: yeah for sure so i have one final question and like i have to ask it you're probably going to hate me for asking this but so do you have to be high to like uh, to enjoy EDM?
1: no <laughs> not no not at all uh so the man I, i've i've i've, I've perception only been it has right <laughs> well yes there's a connotation um i i've only been to a festival sober um I've been like the most I've ever done in a festival is like drinking alcohol. So, so definitely do not, um, you know, could, uh, could certain drugs maybe enhance your experience? Sure. Who am I to judge? I don't know. But um, are there, are there many thousands of people uh, enjoying uh, electronic music completely sober? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, So, so am I going to judge someone for, uh, for, you know, using substances, listening to it? No but uh is it required <laughs> certainly not and i uh, i certainly have lived that love myself that. so
0: love that just like, yeah I, I appreciate that clarification <laughs> we'll get the word out about that
1: thank you yeah thank you
0: <laughs> and uh anything else that we didn't cover here that you want to touch on
1: oh no but i i, I just want to say i appreciate you for having me on and uh i i, I as you as you said i hope the scene continues to grow and uh, i think uh even just as a musician from Wisconsin in general, I think uh, they're just, there's so, so much raw talent in the state, uh, And I think we're probably going to see a lot of really great like EDM producers, like over the years coming out of Wisconsin. So I hope uh, I'm just like one of, one of many.
0: <laughs> yeah. We'll get you to come back and start like an EDM school. We'll, we'll get one of those schools like they have in Amsterdam, right?
1: That'd be great. That's
0: goals. That'd be amazing. Yes. Yeah, EDM goals. Okay. <laughs> Sweet. Well, Andy Snow, thank you so much for being here on the show with me today. And um, yeah, I you know, stay in touch and uh yeah, we'll look forward to following what's to come for you.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Allison. Talk soon.
0: Stay for a minute. I just want to tell. grateful for the patron support of Lisa Andrews and Northwestern Mutual Insurance. Thanks so much for supporting Wisconsin Music Ventures and this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you'll leave ratings and reviews for us wherever you're listening from. Visit themusiciansventure.com for more information on upcoming guests, show notes, and ways to send us your topic suggestions. The Musician's Venture Podcast is hosted by Allison M., recorded at Podcast Town in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, produced by Shannon Coulard, with theme music written and performed by Mike Newmeyer. Thanks again.